Good evening and welcome to this week's edition of the Gallant Few English Premier League Roundup. Um, I am your host this evening. My name's Jamie. Um, you'll recognise me from most weeks. We have lost Mason this week, unfortunately, but I do have a couple of stunning guests with me. Um, it's always good to have Colin back. Colin, how's things? I'm good, mate. A little bit apprehensive tonight. Um, Mason gave me a, a good... Um, a good a good telling to on how tonight should go after to be the mediator. Um, apparently, there's a big game uh, south of the border, and used to have to play nice. Mason's words, not mine. <laughs> and speaking of uh, being on the best behaviours, John, how's things? Fuck off. Ah <laughs> 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 oh dear, I'm good mate, thank you uh, Trying weekend, but always a pleasure to be on and chat football Good man, thank you very much So I've put a bit of an agenda together tonight I'm trying not to cover the Liverpool-Chelsea game too much I don't want to bore you to death of how my day went But um, the, one of the biggest news is that is probably going around at the moment um, Is uh, the Everton's points appeal um, if you've watched, obviously the the highlights in the games, there was a Everton were away to Brighton at the weekend that get finished one one. Um, pretty pretty hard fought game to be fair, um, but keen to get your thoughts on not only the game but also the fact that they have won their appeal. Now, just to kind of clarify, um, they weren't they weren't appealing the decision of being found guilty because they admitted it. What they were appealing was the length of the punishment. They were dished out a ten point deduction um, and what they were saying is that was probably a bit too harsh on an appeals um, that's now went through an appeals team and they've reduced it to uh, a six point reduction so that's gaining four points back that's a massive big points uh, ma- massive big four points they brought back in for them Colin what's your thoughts on the game and obviously the decision that's impacting the rest of the table it was a really good point for Everton um I really fancied Brighton to. I really fancied Brighton to kick in the gear and at home. I thought they were, I thought they were going to win comfortably, and that's what my cousin said. And you know, it's all commentators' curse when it comes to me. Man, I've not won a cousin since <laughs> since last summer. Um, but no, fair fair play, Everton. They they dug it out. They um they limited to. Brighton had a few chances, but there was no two very many clear cut, and I think that was doing the how how Everton just that's enough to out. And then when they, you know, when when they went one 0 up and Billy Gilmore gets sent off, clear clear sending off. I thought they were that was a Sean Dyche type game, um, a, a game that was really suit Everton where it's just batched to the wall. And I thought they would want to see you. Um, that chance Brighton had at, at the end, um, the, the smash, but then that, that didn't go in, so I thought everyone was safe. But no, um, I, I thought for everyone would be hard, a wee bit hard done by, um, and then just how the, the second half went. But point overall is probably a fair result. And on the points um, that have been obviously put back on Everton, what was your thoughts on that? Do you think that was the right outcome? Do you think it was harsh to begin with? Or I think um, you need to take it in context. Um, Everton have been made the scapegoat here. Um, I think we'll know if it's harsh or not when we see how many million points Man City um, gets. If Man City end up playing in the Vanarama League next season, then it's probably going to look um, quite light. But I, I don't know. It's it's hard to it's hard to say just on the one club. Um, from a neutral point of view, I kind of wanted um, the the full whack, so there was maybe. A, a wee bit more excitement in the relegation battle because it's looking very clear cut for the bottom two. Um, but no, it's hard to say that now. Um, it, Ten points, six points. It's it means nothing if it's just Everton. Johnny, I know you watched the actual game and you you know you've you've called it a couple of times now that you're a big fan of the lad Brandweight. Um, and you know he was a big part of how the, how they got away with that result at the weekend. Um, keen to get your thoughts on the game and obviously the outcome of the appeal as well. Uh, the game, uh, uh, to be honest with you, I thought Everton were the better team, probably for about 70 minutes of that game. Uh, maybe even more than that. Brighton never really turned up to the last maybe 15 to 20 minutes tops. 
I thought everyone done they've done quite well. Um the the red card obviously didn't help uh, Brighton. It was a bit of a dull one, to be honest. I'm not going to say too much in it because you're just going to liken it to Cassie Hazel, so I'll just leave it at that. I, it doesn't need to make the tackle, to be honest, but it's still a good point. I thought it was still a good point for Everton, mate. It's not the, like Colin said, I think a lot of people fancied Brighton, probably comfortably, but I mean, they are they are kind of scatty and hot and cold. We've seen that countless times this season already. Uh, but I mean, Everton are just such a tough team to play against, especially if you're. I think if you're a team that plays uh, free flowing football and tries to to get the ball moving a lot, I think you're going to have a hard time against Everton. It's probably the more dogged teams that are going to have a you know find it a wee bit easier against them. I thought that was the case at the weekend. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a good point. Probably a decent point for both of them. I think Brighton are honest. They were probably lucky to get a point. The the, the deduction, mate, or sorry, the, the reimbursement of points, I suppose it depends on what comes of the second blast and when it comes. So if I'm being honest with you, even with the, the, the deduction they got, and now they've gave them that, they've given them a bit of leeway and gave them some points back. If they got another hit, say six points, the way the other teams are, I think they'll still be fine. Um, which is probably one of the, you know, it's a bit of a shitty part about it because they're supposed to be getting punished. And because of the state of Luton, Sheffield, uh, no Luton, sorry, Burnley, Sheffield, and you've got about another five teams down there that are all in the same zone, I think Everton are going to be absolutely fine. Yeah, and in terms of the, you know, talking about the, 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 the points reimbursement, it kind of puts Forrest and Brentford back in the quagmire a little bit, doesn't it? Um, Brentford haven't won in the last three. I think Forest have got one win in the last three, but Everton's can't get the two of them now. Everton are sitting on 25 points. Luton are sitting third bottom with 20 points. So that was probably more devastating to Luton than it was to anybody else because it kind of puts them back in it. Um, I think they probably, sorry mate, I think they probably expected that, all the clubs below. Uh, let's be honest, if this punishment is put in place, and this is what you've done. This is in black and white. We've caught you. You've made a boo-boo. That's your deduction. Then why even consider an appeal in the first place? Yeah. You know, I think that was probably expected that they would get that deduction and they would be have a successful appeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the clubs around probably expected that, mate. I don't think that would have been a huge shock to them. And the other clubs around, I agree with them. Uh, we're calling that Man City, even if we drive Chelsea into that and whoever else, uh, it would be the ideal world they would all be done at the same time if we're talking about fairness but because of the severity of the charges against some of these other clubs it's just not going to happen we'll be lucky to see man city punished in by 2026 if we're being honest that is the estimation and i think man city's one's for a completely different scenario it's obviously a bit diddling the books as opposed to confirming that they have overspent um i think the one thing i'd not that I'm happy that Everton have got points back or anything, but what this does do is brings a bit of clarity of what the benchmark looks like because Forrest have been hit this season, um, have been found guilty, so you'd expect them to have a six-point uh, deduction as well now. Everton have been hit with a second one, so you'd expect them to have a six-point. However, I think there is a bit of legality in it that they can't be done for the same period of time they've just been done for. So Everton's might be not shall we say not as stringent as six and i think nottingham forest defense is more to do with they spent two years of the three-year window within the the, the the lower leagues so the shall we say the bar that they've hit wasn't as high as say for example everton so it gives a bit of clarity on what it does look like um but i'm with you i don't see you know, if, if they go on the current timeline, Everton and Nottingham Forest uh, hearings are due to be, I think they're due to be heard around about the 9th of March. So if they hear them, then they've got an appeal process, which you could drag it into the end of April, by which time you're talking about the season wrapping up. So this could actually be done in the close season. And I think the, I think the Premier League are in a, probably a more dangerous procurement that if the league was wrapped up and done, and then they were hit with points deductions, which mean, for example, Luton might go down on the last day of the season if they manage to stay up, if that makes sense. it's it's It looks as though it's going to get a little bit messy, in my opinion. Colin, you were going to say something there? No, it was that point you were going to make. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about both ends of the, the yeah. table. Um, Man City, I mean, 
like it, it looks as if it's got to go down to the wire. Like so, do you crown champions? Do you wait until the hearings? It's so you'll be an an anti-climax. It's just going. It's it seems I, very. I think, I think City's one's going to take a year to go through the courts. Yeah. I, I I really do because it's they're talking about the amount of um, stuff that's involved, the amount of witnesses, the amount of defence. You're talking that's probably going to take like a year process from start mm-hmm. to finish of you know that going through some sort of court. Like a, it's like a, a season-long version of a VAR goal, waiting to see if it actually gets the game right. <laughs> do I celebrate? Do I not celebrate? Yeah, yeah don't. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, um, you know, it, I wanted to talk about that first because obviously we've been talking about the points deduction for some weeks now and we've kind of got some clarity to what that looks like and it has made a difference to the league. Um, as Colin pointed out, there was obviously a big game um, in the weekend calendar and it was the first English Premier uh, English um, team, excuse me, English, the first English Cup uh, decided over the weekend. Um, Liverpool ran out 1-0 winners, um, needed full-on injury time and extra time. Uh, very, very close to penalties. Colin, did you manage to get to see the game? What was your thoughts on it? Just the highlights, Jamie. Um, and, but it sounds silly. Like, by all accounts, quite an exciting no-no draw. Um, <laughs> that like, you know, usually I think of exciting, decent games and you think goals, 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 but both teams you know, made it a good final. Um the neutral in me is heartbroken that it didn't go to penalties. I adore watching penalties when it's not Rangers. Um, and that's what the test of it is. But no, um, it'll be interesting to see the, the impact this has for both teams now. Um, I'm sure you will be touching it from a Chelsea point of view. I was really interested to does this really kickstart this season almost and really show, give tangible results to the progress that we're waiting for Pochettino to make and for Liverpool point of view is that the first of the the golden sweep for Jurgen Klopp's last season um, so obviously it's a latter so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how both of them move on also Liverpool's got a big game on Wednesday then the cup will, like, will they have the anti-climax will they have the hangover from it or will they keep going and didn't come with it cost did it the injuries um, I was going to come to that, like the injuries, the young players. It's Harvey Elliott and Will played about 100 odd games. Yeah. Is, is, is one of like 25? Like, at what point did we stop saying they're young players? So I don't think it's them players that they're talking about. If you look at the players that they brought on, um, you've got, you know, Connor Bradley. I, I, what I, Probably the best way to define young players is the amount of minute, the amount of first team minutes between them all. Take Harvey Elliott out, but I'm not counting Harvey Elliott. I'm looking at Jane Dance, Jack McConnell, Bobby Clark, um, you know, Connor Bradley's had a few games recently. Um, there, there was so much youth that Liverpool were having to bring on because they don't have the squad in depth. I know there was a narrative kicking about of obviously Levi Colwell's 20 years old and he's still a youngster, Casado, and so they're only 21, 22. I think the definition is probably more about first team minutes compared to the opposition is probably is, is my take on it johnny i know you've obviously got a few things and you know you've we, we, we've not spoken since the final um without using profanities what's your thoughts on the game um and how it panned out are you still potching or for me jamie uh, i'm still in the same mentality that or the same opinion that there is no point in changing as to where they are uh, okay. I said this weeks ago a few times that I know that Poch is not a serial winner, but what they need is somebody in place with their plan. They, not the club's plan, not what they expect to see. This is what we're looking to build. This is what we need you to do. What he wants to do. What he thinks that club needs and how to build it. They've never done that. It's exactly what Liverpool done with club. Liverpool stopped trying to have managers build to what their vision was and asked Klopp, what do you want to build? What do you want to see? And that's what he done. It didn't start off well, it was Neil Roses, uh, but he got there. That's what they need along that way. Uh, so no, I don't think Santa's the right answer. I know there's probably got to be a lot of people and there is frustration and there is red flags close to this, but I just don't see how that would help. And plus the financial side of it anyway, I'm still not convinced they can afford it, as in terms of um, financial fair play. Yeah. 
the, the actual game. Oh, sorry, on you go. No, no, sorry, sorry, I was clearing my fault. No, the, the, the actual game, um, trying to be as diplomatic as possible. I didn't think there was anything in the game. Um, I thought there was a stupid amount of chances. The Looking at it from a Chelsea, Chelsea perspective, Conor Gallagher could have had a hat-trick um, mm. easily. And for me, personally, the best player on the pitch was Keller. I thought he was outstanding. Um, and that's not saying that that's because Chelsea were great. That's, I'm not coming for that point of view. I'm just saying they had a really good game. The, but Chelsea can only blame Chelsea. They had all the chances to win that game if they wanted to do it. They never took any of them. They were toothless when it came to the final cut. The middle of the park again, Cassiedo and uh, Enzo were dog shit. They, they got bullied. They got bullied by young lads. With, with very, very little experience. Now, uh, the whole young thing, you know, like men versus boys and all the, the bottle job for Gary Neville, that's all of the horse shit because that takes away from what Liverpool managed to do. That's like saying Liverpool fucked it rather than just saying, hey, sorry, Chelsea fucked it rather than well done Liverpool, right? So I don't buy into that. Now, they did have the chances. You could call it a bottle job or you could just say Liverpool were stronger and overcame it. Um, and that's where I come from. Uh, which pains me to say it, but that's just the way it is. The, I thought the young lads for Liverpool done excellent. Uh, Chelsea tried to rile them, get in their heads, especially young Bradley, never let any of it phase them. Um, that takes a strong character at that age to do that. Chelsea do have a very young team too. Uh, I wrote them all down today, but I'm not going to rattle them off. But there's a bunch of them all very early 20s. It's a huge game for them too. A lot of them first finals and first sniff at that, a game of that magnitude. So there was a lot of pressure on both. Liverpool just dealt with it better. Um, wrapping it, my biggest thing that pissed me off was Van Dijk. They got away with that disallowed goal. No, not, they got away with the disallowed oh, goal. Right? <laughs> yeah. Now, you can complain about it and say it should have been a goal and that. End of the day, the rules are, that's a foul. The problem doesn't come for that being a foul. The problem comes with there's zero consistency in that rule. You'll see that five times next weekend, not given. You know, and you might see it five week times a weekend after given. That's where the problem comes to. Hence why Liverpool were pissed off, and rightly so. So they've got a warning. That's what he's going to do. They're going to hit that one every time. Van Dijk's going to power through, and you're going to struggle to stop him. Then you do it again. How do they lose again? It's an it's a carbon copy. It's yeah. almost a reflection of the goal that was disallowed, and that was my biggest needle for the whole thing. And then Potts comes out at the end, and he was like, "Were you prepared for penalties?" We didn't really prepare for penalties. We didn't expect it. Just stop it. Give that man help. What the hell would kind of thing is that to say for a cup final? So Why yeah. would you say that? I mean, it's. I just I don't get it, mate. Well, just say the generic bullshit. Oh, we always prepare for every scenario. Wow. We did not prepare for penalties. We did not expect it to go that far. The game should have went to penalties. I'm not saying Chelsea should have won, but. It looked like that's the way it was going. But I take my hats off, mate. They got it done, so fair play. I was going to ask a couple of questions, Colin. I'll come to you first. Johnny's already kind of alluded. There was two big instances in the game where VAR decided to get involved and VAR didn't get involved. The first one being the the, the challenge on Ryan Gravenbach by Moises Casado. Um, the ref didn't even give a free kick. Um, but on, on hindsight, Gravenbach's now went off with a cruciate ligament damage and had to be stretched off the pitch. And it's more than likely going to be missing for the next few weeks. What was your thoughts on that? I, I suppose really why I'm asking, not coming from a Liverpool point of view, but I know when you slow it down, it looks worse, but it actually looked worse. It actually looked really bad in real time, in my opinion. And I was surprised that VAR didn't get involved in that one, considering, as Johnny said, some of the decisions that we've seen week in and week out that, you know, foot over the ball, if you like, straight onto the, you know, uh, a straight ankle. I don't really like putting too much emphasis on the whole it looks worse when you slow it down or it looks mm-hmm. different because nobody, you know, that is almost one argument that it's always going to look terrible when you slow it down. But in real time, I don't think we put enough gravitas on the fact that when you're moving at speed, you know, that 
it takes less to impact um, a moving object. You know what I mean? Like we talk about, and I don't want to give you like some of the theatrics I buy, but one example is if a winger's running at full pelt down the wing, it doesn't take much take much of a nick to throw him off his side and fall down. If he was running slower, then you know you'd need to barge him to get him to fall down. It's the same with these tackles as well. So I think a lot of the time it looks like a nick. Um, and but like, oh no, game's gone. Well, but it should be, I think we need to take it in the context of where that tackle's landed on the leg. I've kind of went after a tangent there because that's not a scenario here at all. I think it's, <laughs> um, but it's just when you say them, um, the slowing down. I mean, that's why I mentioned that. I'm shocked that didn't they go to the bar, honestly. Um, wild and. Uh, <laughs> Without sounding like just generic fucking match of the day and fucking it's just consistency us fans want <laughs> into um we don't I think we're all reasonable enough to say that these mistakes will happen, but it's it's it how often these mistakes happen. This is this is a Premier League we're talking, this is the best league in the world with the best you know, best paid refs and the best technology. You don't expect that level of inconsistency. Yeah, um, Johnny, you've obviously mentioned the the Van Dijk header that was ruled out, um, and it was ruled out for apparently endo, um, shall we say, impeding Levi Colwell's run. Were you surprised that that one was given, or as you said in the letter of the law, it was a foul? I I was surprised that. Yeah, I was surprised that it was uh, disallowed. I genuinely was, but it is the rule, is what I'm saying. I don't like it. I think it's dog shit, and I don't think it's consistent at all. It's you know what? It's the exact same as defenders who pull shots in the box, right? It's supposed to be an automatic call, but it's not enforced. They enforce it when they decide. You know, when whenever it pleases, they enforce it. I'd say maybe sixty, seventy percent of the time they don't enforce that rule. That rule is the exact same. So yeah, I don't, I don't think it was a bad obstruction or anything like that, mate. I really don't. Uh, if it was given, I would not have complained. I'll put it that way. The the red card, are genuine. Honestly, trying to be as impartial, which isn't easy, but I am trying my best. I did. I thought it was one of those oranges, which is cliche, I know, but I thought it was somewhere in the middle. Here we go. You're going to start calling for a blue card, aren't you? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's one of those ones where if I'm a Liverpool fan. I want him sent off. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm a, if I'm an opposite, you know, I don't. Which obviously I'm going to say, but I genuinely, I say at the time, I grit my teeth, and more so because Casado, he's been like that for months. It, it's not vindictive; it's just mistimed and sloppy, and he's done that a lot. Uh, the only thing I think is he's saving grace with that tackle is it's very low on the foot. Now he does catch on. I'm not saying he doesn't. It's very low. And if you watch the replay, his eyes are nowhere but the ball. He doesn't even know that Graham Bart's his leg is going in that way. He's not he's not looking there at all. He's following the track of the ball. Um, I think it was not in there was no intent. That's what I'm looking for. Now but I, I mean if it went and they, they sent him off, I couldn't have had many complaints. You know what I mean? I'm somewhere in between the two. And that's just maybe I'm being deadly honest with that. Um but yeah. Yeah, that was the thoughts, mate. So maybe a bit of justice for other people then, but that's just the banks. Yeah, and I think one of the big things you, you know you touched on it. Kelleher was absolutely outstanding. Some of those point blank saves, really, Chelsea strikers should be scoring those. So how Kelleher gets on some of them, even I had my head in my hands at times. I think both both teams hit the post. And Gakpo hit the post in the first half, and I think Gallagher hit the post in the second half, didn't he? Um, it was super, super close. It could Palmer have went either way. Well. Uh, sorry, Palmer it was. I think I said on Friday's podcast, Colin, that Liverpool never win a, a cup of the easy way. It's always hard. They don't like Wembley. Um, the, big, the pitch is always too big. For some reason, we always end up with penalties when it comes to Chelsea. So, yeah. Your neutral point of view, I hope it going to Chelsea. I was praying it wasn't because I just couldn't put myself through it. If anybody remembers the last set of penalties, it went all the way down to the goalkeepers, and as Poliquetta skied it, um, I, don't, I, I wasn't I wasn't mentally capable of handling that on Sunday. Intoxicated, but 
yeah, I needed that game to be done and dusted. So, uh, um, and a big shout out for Watsara Wendu. I think he's been brilliant this season. He's gone completely under the radar um, because he went away to the Asia Cup, but he's kind of slotted in that number six role, and he's you know he's added that third layer of line of defence and allowing people like McAllister to play a bit more forward. Um, I think Johnny touched on it that. Enzo and Casado didn't really have any say in the game, and I think it's arguably down to people like Endo. He he was he was. Top, it was down to Endo. What yeah. did he cost? Was it eighteen million or something? I think it was like seventeen million with add-ons. He was the Stuttgart captain, um, yeah. and I, I remember a lot of journals were saying possibly one of the best signings. Um, of the window because it completely went unnoticed when you know we Liverpool tried to get Casado you know in the last minute 115 million and, and, and never got him so this was quite easily the second or third player that we were going for but he's just come in and he's slotted his first couple of months I think he was very lightweight he kept giving the ball away he was getting muscled out but this he's, he's obviously noticed that he needs to muscle on a little bit and he's starting to control that center that center circle and Liverpool fans are really really enjoying him right now they couldn't get in the game. Neither Cassie or Enzo could get in that game. And I, I said that, I was talking to a friend yesterday, I said I put a hell of a lot of it down to Endo. He marshaled that midfield. But then, that was a, one other thing I wrote down with, with Poch, is why persist every week with Endo, Enzo and Cassie? Why not rotate somebody and try somebody else when they're getting bossed that easily? Because that's not just that weekend, that's happening every other weekend. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to drag that out, but yeah, Endo played well, mate. Cool. Um, so, yeah, we won first cup. Yay, done. Klopp on tour, one out of four. Let's go. Uh, I'll move on. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um, Colin, it, it's it's hard not to move on without, um, you know, alluding to um, another rampant Arsenal win. Um, I know you'll have a bit of a match of the day, but it probably would have been over within 30 seconds because they come out the traps, didn't they? And Newcastle just shrank. Arsenal were, were excellent. Um, they were. And again, like I, I keep on making the comparisons for last year when um, we thought Arsenal were in a title race and they were they were finding ways to get over the line. Um, and the big debate was... Is that the sign of champions or is that the sign of cracking? And but we Arsenal, it's a completely different way they've approached it. The new year, they're just oh, they're so good to watch. They're so aggressive um, in the attack, um, and I thought all their goals um, took, uh, came really well. Um, obviously, the first goal and on goal, but that's Arsenal's 18th goal um, for a set piece this season. And it's no quite if you think about Arsenal where they're. You know they're quick playing a transition. You don't really you, when you you don't really think about them as strong and set pieces. That's usually a I don't know a more industrial side you would label that way. But no, I thought Arsenal were excellent. Newcastle, we're Newcastle. To be fair, um, I think we're just becoming to expect them as kind of running them out this year, the, which is a shame considering the the season they had last year. But no, that's. What that must be about twenty goals in the last five games for Arsenal. I yeah, think, I think they scored something like thirty-five this year alone, um, which is in all competitions, which is mental. Johnny, um, Arsenal are playing Sheffield United this weekend. Um, you, you wouldn't put it past there being another four or five, or would you? No, mate. They are. Uh... They, they just seem to have this this ruthless streak that's kind of appeared. They were like that at the start of the last season, if you remember, um, before it kind of went to shit. But especially, with, I mean, we did speak about in the pod that that's what they seem to lack was the ability, you know, just to sweep a team aside. But that's what they've been doing for weeks now. Um, that first probably 25, 30 minutes is one of the strongest starts I've seen to a game in a long time. They, they just absolutely flattened them. Uh, Newcastle had nothing, no answers. They were chasing shadows. They were only picking up men. It was like once the first couple went and they were like a rabbit in the headlights. It was like punch drunk. Um, but I mean, the, the, I mean, they're looking excellent, mate. Really good. That a uh, they're attacking. They're following maybe five, six players are just really, really good. I think Rice definitely gives them that extra bit. A uh, the and I agree with Colin. For, 
set pieces, they are dangerous. Uh, He's right, they're such a free-flowing team, you probably don't label them as that, but with Gabriel and Saliba, they're both very powerful uh, central defenders, especially in recent weeks. Gabriel's been causing havoc up there, and he's done the same again at the weekend. Um, I expected a wee bit more for Newcastle. I didn't think they would win, but yeah, they they were excellent, mate. Did you see that stat about Arsenal? They're the first team in Premier League history to score two goals in seven consecutive halves of football. That's wild. Wow, I don't think. You go back to to Christmas time and we were talking about we don't see where their goals were coming from because they weren't getting... Saka's just decided to start scoring. I think even Havertz is getting goals now. Um, If you don't mind. See, when Arsenal signed Havertz, Havertz, sorry, um, I don't me and Johnny, I'm sure it was, we, we were saying that it's a good sign and we like him, we think he'll fit in, and I think we all laughed at the fucking podcast. And I think the big criticism was he, he doesn't bring the goals. So given, given Havertz's role in this, do you think he's a, an effective striker? But Arsenal don't rely on him for goals, but they're getting goals for all, all over the pitch. Do you change your tune on him? No. I yeah, still think Trossard's better. I still think Trossard. I think Trossard's offered a better goal through it. What I what I do think is that they're, they're not using him as a striker. They're using him probably more as a link-up man between the midfield and the strikers or the wingers, if you like. So he's not like an out and out number nine up the top. He's probably coming a bit. Do you remember the old Bobby Firmino role where he would come yeah. deep and allow the wingers to get around him? I think he's probably doing more of that, which is maybe working for his game. Um, Certainly didn't play like that. Play that role at Chelsea, and he certainly didn't play that role at Leverkusen. So maybe Arteta's found a new role for him that's probably working for him. Um, I think though, and and the Bundesliga, it's a different ball game. It's a different league. You can get away with that much slimmer frame um, and flourish, whereas in the Premier League, it's so easy to get bullied. So yeah, I think he does drop him in a wee bit. He has improved. Well, in terms of goal threat, he has improved. But I think a big part of that as well is how much Arsenal has improved in general in that area. They're creating a hell of a lot of chances. Um, but you've got to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, I would agree with that. But then you've still got Gabriel who's used to come back as well. Is he going to be, you know, is he going to hold his place? Are they going to switch it back up again? Because they were playing slightly different shape when they had Jesus back in the team. Yeah. And a quick mention on Newcastle now, because that's them dropped to 10th. Um, and, and I think it's fair to say, Colin, that when we were doing the early predictions of the season finishings, nobody necessarily had Newcastle winning the league, but we all didn't have them in the in, in 10th position right now, did would we? No. Uh, what's been really worrying about them, and I know we're going to repeat the conversation about the injuries and stuff they've got, but they, they should be good enough to... to <laughs> to be firmly in the European contention. Um, we all said that them adapting to midweek football and having to balance the European games with domestic games, but what, the long out of Europe, they've been long gone. Um, and I, I, I think I'm surprised. I thought Eddie Howe would be able to get more out of the more, more of the players he's got left. Um, I mean, it's still not, it's still not a bad lineup. Um, I don't think they're doing themselves justice. They're definitely not showing to be the sum of the parts. And I wonder at what point did they, did we start to have a conversation about Eddie uh, moving on in the summer? Um, will the Newcastle owners be as cut through as well? Maybe Man City or Chelsea were um, in the early stages of the rebuild. I don't think they would have been expecting to be tenth in February. Um, Right now, if I have to put money on it, I don't see them getting European football next year, and that, that that's definitely no in the in the long term plan for for Newcastle. Johnny, it's, it's fair to say that Newcastle have got a lot of injuries this season, and, and probably the one that doesn't get spoken about enough is Nick Pope. You know, they lost him quite early in the season. They've had to play with the backup keeper and Dubrovka. I was quite surprised though when they brought in Lucas Lewis Larius Curris, um, you know, the ex Liverpool goalkeeper for the. Uh, the Everton, the Arsenal game. No, I don't necessarily hold him responsible for the goals that were going in, but it seemed a bit of a strange one, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, I would agree, mate. I, I mean, I think the Bravkas are a very, very different keeper to, to Pope. Pope's way better. Um, yeah. I think the Bravkas a good shot stopper. He's good on his line, but he rarely comes out and commands that box, whereas Pope 
covers all those aspects because he does it well. Um, that's definitely, I mean, you can't put everything on that, uh, but as a part, why he was dropped, if it, if it was dropped, I think, was he on the bench? I actually never checked that. I think I think he was on the bench, yeah, because he's back Maybe. in the squad for tonight's uh, FA Cup game. Right. Well, well no idea why, mate. But um, I think you have to give them a wee bit slack because uh, although we, we, we do, I know we have spoken about the injuries, but they, they've had horrific injuries. Um, at one point, it was virtually their entire first team defence was out, barring maybe one. And it's it's something that's continued through the season. I don't know what he's got them doing, but it can be good. Um, I think as well, we definitely spoke about it pre-season, but the European factor would have an effect. Um, I think they're getting a bit of a knock-on for that. I know they're out now, but um, I think that's definitely had a wee bit of a toll on it. Maybe a wee bit stepping too far too soon. And I, just, I don't think they have the squad for it. Even without the injuries, I think the squad's quite fine, especially if they're fighting on all those fronts. That's something they're going to look to improve if they can afford to improve. I, I take the point about the injury, but I still think that even with this squad, they should be beating Lewin in Bournemouth. You know, I mean, that's that's four points that would have taken them up to like, above Brighton. Um, I, I still. I get it, they won't be running toe-to-toe with the top six, maybe, but they should be beating the teams more than them comfortably, I think. I think it's more, um, the, it's, more, it's more their inability to keep a clean sheet at the moment that's probably worrying, because uh, you go back to last year and they, kept, they did so well, and I know we said Nick Pope's obviously not there, but they've still got Trippier, they've still got Shaw, they've still got Botman, they've still got Dan Bunn. Dan Bunn's looked a bit sceptical the last few weeks. He's been turned by pace by pretty much all the teams, um, but yeah, I think Newcastle have got it rough at the moment, and I, if I'm not mistaken, their next game, um, they're at home to Wolves. So, you know, as a Jody fan, you're going to be expecting um, them to pick up three points there, and then they're away to Chelsea, and I think they go on a start of a, a few dodgy games. So, um, I don't think Eddie Howe is going to get the bullet anytime soon, but I'm with you, Colin. I, I think I don't think he'll be there next year. Um, I really don't. He made this call on a mate last year for the Christmas sack, and do you mind that? As soon yeah, as you yeah. say- he gave Billy today, he started rubbing his hands. Did you see? <laughs> um, I'm just actually looking back in terms of Premier League games, and I apologize if you mentioned this, Jamie. I might have just zoned out, but their oh, last game sheet was. I think they've had two this up. year. Yeah. Oh, no, they've had the FA Cup, but actual a league claim sheet, if I'm reading this right, is Fulham on the 16th of December last year. That's mad, isn't it? Yes. Uh, yeah, there's not been a that's that is, that is and that's what I mean. That's, that's, a, that's a massive big change compared to what they were doing last season. You can argue that obviously Joel Linton's not fit, Callum Wilson's not fit, Alan Warren's been in and out of that team, but they don't do the defending that you would anticipate um, Newcastle to be putting up a you know, no, say a more solid display. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I never realized it was that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was there was loads of goals calling in the, the Villa Forest game. Um, finished four two. Um, Ollie Watkins grabbed himself another goal. Um, Villa just doing what 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 we said, aren't they? They they kind of holding on to that fourth spot. They'll win a couple of games. They'll lose a couple of games. And you know, as long as they've got that distance between them and Tottenham, I don't think they'll be that worried, will they? No, they, they don't. Um, they, they won't be worried. That- Again, that home record's just amazing. It, it really is. And you know, everything we were saying about Arsenal, just how how early Villa will go and take the game and put the game to bed. It, it was excellent on uh, the weekend there. Um yeah, obviously the Forest year a couple of goals back, but but this is the difference between them and the likes of Newcastle. And I know maybe been apple and oranges there, but Villa ended up with a fifth or sixth choice centre-backs um, playing it, and they didn't capitulate. Again, it's, they find a way to play to their strength still and get the goals, but, but Villa, they're comfortable, they're comfortable in the European sport, um, mainly because, what I said last week, Spurs or Man U behind them don't have the ability to get these results on a consistent basis. Villa can yeah, Johnny, just a couple of words then for Douglas Louise. He's scored his ninth Premier League goal of the season, which is arguably his best ever season in terms of goals and assists. And he's on nine Premier League goals and four assists at the moment. It's not bad for a defensive midfielder, isn't it? 
and then talked to me about Douglas Louise, and you know why. <laughs> Shit house. Sorry, Colin. He beat me in a fantasy sports game. I tried to sign Douglas Louise at the weekend. I really fancied him. I forgot Jamie is one place below me, so he gets the pip on the transfer. Stole it. I couldn't see who it was till that goal went and I went, I wonder who got him and it's that shit house. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's doing it, he's doing really well, mate. And as you say, he's doing it for um a fairly defensive midfield role. I mean he's on penalties as well, which is helping. Yeah. But even at the weekend, his goals were excellent. Um it's quite bizarre considering they have a hell of a lot of threat in that team, you would expect the goals to come elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But they all seem to be chipping in. Um and the guy we keep giving plaudits to as well, Leon Bailey, was outstanding at the weekend again. Um, so I suppose when you've got those kind of players that are, are creating the threat around you, it's maybe a wee bit easier to get in the goals. But no, you can only give credit to that, mate. Um, he's having a, a cracking season. Probably his best season in the Premier League, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Colin, that brings us on to my favourite game of the weekend, was Manchester United 1, Fulham 2. Um, now... Obviously, I the, the, why the that was your favourite. <laughs> do, do you know what I'm, I was about to explain that actually? That you know, not only was it just the result, but I'm kind of bemused with some of the comments from the the, the Manchester United managerial at the end of it, with you know, um, stating that they should have won the game, um, that they controlled the game. I don't remember watching that in highlights. Now I know, obviously, I've got a biased opinion, but I'm keen to get your thoughts on on you know how you felt that game went and what what the outcome of that was. I, this shouldn't be a man new conversation. This should be all about film. Film was excellent. Um, I thought I don't understand how you come away thinking that man you deserve to win that. I thought film were deserved winners. Um, I don't know. Maybe he's thought about how many, how much of the ball they had. But even then, like it was just over half. Like they didn't dominate possession. Um, no, I thought film were really, really good and. Again, just what I was saying about the difference between Villa and the teams below them. It's just they have these, they always seem like they're never that far away from being a basket case. <laughs> and, and man, you showed that as well. Lovely to see Big Calvin. Um, oh, that, that boy just absolutely warms my heart um, for so many reasons. Um, uh, really, really tough to see him getting in the score sheet because he's, he's, um, he didn't settle in, he's not fully settled in how, how we wanted him. Sometimes he has had the odd bombs here, here and there. Um, I still think there's a conversation if he's if he's right and if he's best suited to playing left side of um, a, a back, a, a two centre back pair, and I think he's best in the, the left there, back three or left back. Actually, um, I think he still positionally gets caught under the ball more than he should. But no, um, please for him. Um, also, he had a, a good tournament in Afcon and getting the opening goal as well. Johnny, a couple of points to cover. Me and you obviously had a conversation before the Man U game kicked off because the the announcement was that Rasmus Hoyland, who is arguably one of the informed strikers of the league at the moment, um, would be missing for a couple of weeks, and we were questioning obviously one of our you know our prediction for the game, and and you alluded to the fact that actually Fulham were going into that game without their best player, uh, Paulinho, who had accrued another booking. Excuse me, so we were missing the game. Didn't really miss him though, did they? Boys like Andres Pereira, the ex-Man United player, they all stepped up. Uh, the boy Munas up front, even though he didn't get a goal, he absolutely dogged, um, you know, bullied some of those defenders around. Uh, yeah, yeah, mate. I, I did not expect it. I, I thought to give credit, I'll give Jamie credit when it's due. He actually called two-one Fulham. He done it again. That was before that game. That's uh, another thing I didn't like admitting, but he did. He did call it. The the result, when you look at the course of the game, mate, 100% agree. Fulham worth every bit of their points, mate. They played really well. Man United, had, they had wee spells, but that was really it. I, one thing I will say about Man United was Harry Maguire had me in stitches. I don't know how much attention you paid to Harry Maguire's game, but he was involved in everything, good or bad. It was crunch and tackle, gets himself booked, he was diving in the box, trying to win penalties. And when a guy like six foot seven is trying to play out for a penalty, one of the funniest things you're going to see, uh, he he gets up, gets a goal, was giving away offsides, standing offside. It was just constantly, even the highlights, it was just a little bit slap head. Uh, 
the and credit to Awobi, uh, I'm not his biggest fan in terms as a player, but he, he done really well uh, at the end. To be fair, he should have scored early on. He had a cracking chance really early in that game, um, and he didn't even hit the target. It was hard that he actually missed the target, but um, he, he redeemed himself. So, I mean, it's good points for Fulham, mate. And yeah, Ten Hag's comments. Yeah, Shai Fabi were excellent. You played well. We deserved the win. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You stopped that. Uh, Tavernier as well. Unlike his namesake, he just couldn't find the goal. He uh, was getting involved in everything, no? Uh, not Tavernier. Shut up, John. Bassi. He did get his goal. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a good game, mate. I mean, We've, we've talked about it before how Man United are going to go through this spell. I think it was Mason and I were discussing it last week, a week before, that we weren't convinced by Man United. Man United will, they will pick up, they'll go on this run, and then they're going to blob at some point and have this result that you don't expect. You have Rashford, who looks completely disinterested. He, he, he never chased back, he was in the track end, and this is a young lad who's been brought in the youth system. you think he would be doing everything to, to try and drag them out. He just looked completely disinterested and you can put a lot of them in that bracket mate the so, Bruno video yeah. was a bit dominant at the Bruno video of him diving looking for a free kick and rolling about the pitch and waiting for the ref to look at him that didn't look really good at all yeah I didn't notice it until after the game mate I actually seen that on social media but yeah that's that's bad I mean I understand you want to do everything to try and get something for the game but we know Bruno can be a bit of a shit house, mate and they really got to take it on the chin. But I think with Ten Hag, he needs to come out and just sometimes say, look, we were not at it and feeling we're way better. And you probably have a little more respect for him. Well, I'm going to follow that because I've actually got a question regarding, this is kind of what I was leading up to, is that, you know, when you look at it, Man United are a bit of a tricky stage at the moment where they've obviously got the the, the, the investments, you've got the Enios team that are looking after the operations. So these people are going to be making decisions on who the manager is, who the structure of the team looks like and, and so forth. So there still has to be a question of whether Ten Hag is their actual man. And the reason why I'm asking that is that, you know, they must have some idea of what they're going to do by now. Do they stick or do they twist? And the reason why I'm bringing it up is that if they stick until the end of the season, I feel they're going to catch themselves in a bit of a, a bit of a whirlwind. Because if you look at over this summer, the managerial vacancies or merry-go-round that's going to go on, you've got Klopp, for example, leaving Liverpool. So Liverpool are in the market for a new manager. Barcelona have confirmed that Xavi's going to be moving away. So Barcelona are going to be looking for a new manager. Nagelsmann's going to be leaving the German national team. You've got um, you've got all these little pockets of, of manager, managers that are ultimately going to be... Uh, the Bayern Munich, Tuchel's confirmed to be leaving. Um, you've now got PSG potentially going to be losing that. There's, there's all this high-end... What is it? This is probably the best window of transfer managers that you're going to see ever in terms of a shuffle round. If Man United wait for that window, I can't help but think they're going to get left behind and they're going to left, be left with, for example, like a, a Jose Mourinho coming back to the club. If you were in yours, are you sticking with Ten Hag or are you trying your hardest to do what you can now? Colin, I'll go with you first. I think... You need to look long term. I don't think Ten Hag is as long term. I think he's. I think man, you just need a full reset. Um, I don't think he's the man to do it. Um, full change of ethos, a change of the core players that they have, and no, I think um, he's too battle scarred. He's been close to the sack too many times according to the fans. Um, it's hard to choose start anew with that. Um, so I don't think I think they need to look elsewhere. All these big, sexy, glamorous names um, mm-hmm. are, that you've named is who they're going to go for. Um, I don't think they'll get them um, because they're not the world that they were 10, 15 years ago. The Liverpool job will be the most attractive in England um, in the summer. Um, and then all, all these managers will even the places. I mean, you'll probably see some of them replace each other. <sighs> Unai Emery, somebody like that, is a perfect manager for Man U in the summer. But he's half his nut to go with Man U. Why would you leave for a high? Why would you leave a high flying villa to go in an absolute circus? So I, I don't know. I think they need to do something, but I don't know what they can do realistically. 
Johnny, same question for you, mate. Uh, I think they're very, very similar to where I put Chelsea right now, mate. It's a club that needs, like Colin said, completely overhauled. Uh, but what I will say with Man United is we've been saying this longer about them, about so many players that are not at a level of winning Premier Leagues or competing at the very, very top end of the table. They have a lot of players in there who are bottom of the table at best, and they've had those players for a long time. Um, and they've signed more. So do they keep sacking managers? Is it going to be any different? I just don't see it. I don't see how it would change everything. Uh, it needs some kind of stability and something in place, as you say, long term. Is that with Ten Hag or is that somebody else? I'm just not convinced somebody else is going to be any better, mate. And that's why I say the same thing about Poch, because I think the problems at Man United are within the club, not the manager. You can put the problems higher up on the board, and I put Chelsea in the exact same bracket. So I think that's what the, the issues are further up in the boardrooms and wherever else, rather than what's on the pitch. I think the wrong people are making the decision. Chelsea are the exact same. So, sitting on the fence. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. The reason, the reason, I, just, I, suppose, I suppose to counter that, I suppose Chelsea and Manchester United are two different issues. Chelsea, for example, have spent far too much money on young talent that they're hoping comes good, and they need a manager to guide guide that. Manchester United have spent a lot of ta- a lot of money on people that are not going to be there for the next three or four years. They've actually need to clear out and probably invest again. Um, they're going to have to take a hit on players. So, for example, like your Anthony, there's a lot of talk today that Anthony's going to be shipped out um, because they've had enough. This is a guy that's not had a single attack in return um, this season in the Premier League, um, considering they spent was it 92 million on him. So, I think I think similar issue, different. Different, you know, going into Manchester United, you're hoping for a transfer window to to boost what that looks like. Chelsea's probably just trying to get the best out of the players that they've got and trying to come up with a, a way for them to play. Um, I just fear that Man United. I say I fear. I don't fear. I just think Man United, if if they are going to go and ditch Ten Hag, they probably need to do it soon and get them make clear who their number one target is because potential that he won't be available for them come the end of the season. Um, I think that's have potential. That he won't want to go, like Colin said, it's a it's a dead end right now. It's a dead end job because nobody can make it happen. Um, and excuse me, sorry. On the back of that, there was there was uh, a lot of media frenzy this afternoon about Rio Ferdinand on a podcast saying that Arteta would drop Arsenal for Manchester United in a heartbeat. I personally <laughs> don't believe that. I personally don't believe that. I, I, I meant to say this on the, um, when we were talking about Liverpool Chelsea because we kind of touched on it before we started recording. But what is it which is rolling out the pricks prick at every occasion? To, <laughs> um, we before the for the listeners' benefit, we were talking about Neville Carragher, Boyd Sutton um, up here, and just still talking about the football. You just time the sound bites that they're trying. I mean, yourself. But Neville, Real Ferdinand probably believes that. He's a fucking idiot. Sometimes I think they just like stirring the shit. It's like the media used to do when they wanted to unsettle players. They still do it today. Uh, unsettle players, unsettle managers. I think it's probably a similar thing. But yeah, that's a pipe dream, mate. That's a pipe dream. Uh, but yeah, uh, I just, all I'm trying to say is, mate, I just don't see how changing it will make a difference. Yeah. I mean, I could agree with you. Yeah, maybe they do need to change and try it. But I don't see anybody it's else. Everything else in. goes with it, doesn't it? I yeah. think far too much baggage in that. Cool. Um, so uh, we'll call it uh, the next Manchester team. So that a quite different result than one we're used to seeing. Um, Bournemouth nil, Manchester City won, and it was a big win for City, but in probably ways that we're not used to. Um, City scored quite early um, in, in, in the first half. And from what I remember of watching the rest of the game, Bournemouth were all over them and probably should have had an equaliser, at least. Um, I think arguably Edison um, made so many saves that he's probably made in any kind of Premier League game this season. Um, Solanke just needs to sort his shooting boots out a little bit because, in my opinion, Bournemouth should have got something from that game. The question really is more about because we've not seen those kind of performances from City in this kind of running, should City fans be worried or is that is that to be expected, just grind out a one-niller, Colin? 
you know, I, I was thinking this myself, and you know, I, I think don't want to say they were lucky, and, um, but Bournemouth will be absolutely kicking themselves if they didn't get a goal with the chances they had. And Bournemouth played really well in the second half. And in one hand, um, you know, you don't want you probably don't want to overreact. But this is the time of year where City just turn into an absolute different animal. And that's the last three games they've they've almost scored one goal. Um, you know, and obviously the, the the points are still the same if you score one or if you score score nine. Um so the, the drop points against Chelsea, they, they were getting narrow victories um, over Brentford and and Bournemouth and at a time when we are just used to seeing the real Pep Guardiola style of football coming in, it's strange. So I don't know if they're just, I don't know if we're just putting them in a different way of expectation because they're Man City, because they do it so often. Every team is allowed a, a, is allowed to a period of where they just get the job done, where they just take the bins out and nothing else. Um, so I'd say it'd be interesting to see how the derby goes. Um, that's uh, on this game. If I think that's a game to kick kick you back in your life. Um, if you can, if you can find the spark in in your local derby, then you probably will be worried. Johnny, um, before we obviously call out what the Luton Man City score is right now in the FA in the FA Cup, we're going back to the game. We talked in the last couple of podcasts that um, City's ability to call off the bench some absolute superstars this season has been, shall we say, lacking. Was that evident at the weekend? And I mean talking about the not being able to call on Amaras, not being able to call on Gundogan, you know, these kind of players that they lost in the summer. Is that evident of what we're seeing this kind of city having to do now? Or do you just think it was just you know going the course? I think there was an aspect to that. Uh, we did we've discussed it a few times that those players are going to leave a dent, especially at the back end of last season when they, they dominated everything. Gundogan and Marius were huge for Man City. They played a huge part, especially the former. Um, and those are hard players to replace. They do have players there, but I think Grealish would probably be one you would categorise there, but he's been injured. Yeah, I think that's his first start in quite a while tonight, actually. Uh, Haaland, since coming back for injury, hasn't been firing. Barring tonight, when I was actually in my notes, well, then two lines was actually giving the meat sheep a bit of pelters for all the chances he's missing. And then he's just rattled in three tonight to stop me in my track. So I'm not going to read them out. Um, but I think those are probably short term, Jamie. I think, for example, what I just said, the meat sheet is missing a lot of like glorious chances. He, um, You know that's not going to last forever. He's still in the right places. He's still getting the shots away. It's just not clicking, but it is going to click. Um, we've already seen it. Uh, it does happen, like tonight, for example. The I think they do lack a wee bit off the bench. Um, who they've brought into the place, like the lad Nunez and that, hasn't really got going. The Probably a wee bit unfair as well, especially at the weekend, because I thought Bournemouth were really good. Um, and they deserve to get something for that game. Uh, that was my point earlier that I jumped, I got too eager on my notes with Tavernier, who could have had a couple. Uh, and as you say, Solanke probably should have had at least one as well. Uh, and Haaland should have had a couple. So, I mean, it could have been a goal fest, but end of the day, when you're champions, you're going to have games like that. You're defending champions, you're looking to do it twice. You are going to have games like that. You're going to have games where you're not at the races. But if you can still get three points for that, then end of the day, that's all that matters. Nobody's going to look back on that Bournemouth City game. They're just going to look back on those three points. So, And Johnny, think... you know I always like to give you shit for causing jinxes, but um, <laughs> Jack Grealish has went off after 38 minutes with an injury. <laughs> <laughs> so, well done, Johnny. Sorry, <laughs> Sit there with your voodoo doll. Sit there with yeah. your voodoo doll. Crazy to be fair, that's after I say that, I never, I just never noticed. All right, okay. I just had a look to see how they were getting on, and yeah, he went off after 38 minutes, and I just seen um, a sad oh, look yeah. face from on the bench on the on the, on the TV. So, well, well done. That would that would have been a wee improvement for City's ability to call off the bench, and that's gone again. So maybe you're onto something. I think I'll tell you one thing, mate. With the three of them, the 
kind of drifting a wee bit about Arsenal, City and Liverpool, all up there, all firing. It's refreshing. Rather than just having two that have chased away, uh, we're still going strong with the three of them. So it's going to be an interesting run, mate. I'm slightly worried about our injuries. We need you to should go be. back. You should I'm be. I'm slightly worried about injuries. Um, you can o- you can only win so much with kids. <laughs> Do you mm. know what I mean? We need to get people like Salah and Nunes back and whatnot. But there's a few games still to cover. But I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But I think there was one we should cover, um, and that was last night's game. Um, every time David Moyes looks as always about to get the sack, West Ham turn into Barcelona. Um, they, they they smashed four against Brentford last night with a Jared Bowen hat trick, who's been arguably missing the last few weeks. Um, but Colin, the the news is is that. David Moyes has apparently been offered a new contract. I can, I can, I can hear Mason's teeth etching from here. Um, that's uh, a bit of a mad one, isn't it? Aye, wild. Um, but again, like I, I, I was laughing, man. Like after my my rant last week on West Ham fans, stick with twist. Who do you think you are? And then we invite you on a West Ham podcast on a Friday. I was like, I hope to God you've not listened to the last show. Um, but I mean, on Friday, uh, James spoke about just the boring style of football. This was anything but, um, you know, a proper end to end first half of football with West Ham coming out, coming away with the spoils and half time. And then Aye, then they go and seal the deal, and I just born like, like where, where have you been, mate? Like, could, could have been doing with you in January and December, but no, like this is the absolute. As you say, David Moyes decides, right? No, what I should probably start trying now. The people are getting a bit money, um, and it's it, it was very, it wasn't a very West Ham like performance. What I'd say, Johnny. Um, obviously, we can. Put on a load it's on David Moyes' tacti- tactical genius. Um, but Jared Bowen up to 14 for the season. It's not a bad return for a guy that just signed like an eight-year contract in the in the summer. Um, he's obviously going to be there for the for the foreseeable. Um, but they kind of need him. It kind of feels like if they don't have him firing, then they're not going to get the results that they're looking for. And they also had uh, Paqueta back last night, which is obviously a massive difference to their midfield. We've talked about how key he's been for their from an attacking point of view for them. Yeah, mate, I mentioned it last week, but I thought it was really, really going under the radar a wee bit, the radar, sorry, about how important he is to them. Um, he's he's huge to West Ham, and I mean, doesn't mean he was the, the be-all and end-all of that game, but the proof's in the pudding, mate. It happened with Tony as well. Now, I know Brentford aren't exactly firing, but they did improve once Tony came back. Paqueta's back, and I mean, they looked excellent. They looked excellent last night. But it's just a, such a bizarre result. Uh, to what we've been seeing and I'm a bit sad like that I look at the underlying numbers and that pretty much mostly for fantasy football being the sad egg I am but the the numbers for Bowen to actually getting the goals never mind bang three in was n- not even close to reflecting what we see but mm-hmm. talking to jinxes mate talking to jinxes Brentford can solely blame you because I can direct quote you for last weekend's pod. You said <laughs> last week, sorry, you said, you know, you know, I can't do your accent because it's up next. You know what they need? They need Jared Bowen fire. Come on, Jared, get in the goals. They, if he, he gets in the goals, they'll be fine. So technically, it's your fault. <laughs> but you know, listen, I think Moy should stay in the job. I'm all I'm team Moy's in. So that, if Baron if Baron gets in his goals, then that's so forth. I think that's a, I, I enjoyed seeing it, mate. Seeing as soon as that news broke, I was kind of like, good on you. Because it's like the board doubling down. Because it's very, very yeah. easy to fold under fan pressure. But, I mean, for a business point of view, for a business model and success, they know how well they've done. Yes, they're for the blip, but they're still in a good position in the league and they're still in uh, in Europe. There's not a lot more they can expect. But what they spend is, I think they're probably punching. So, yeah, it might be ugly at times, but if he's bringing you cups like that and you're getting cup runs like that, I don't understand the hate. So, good on them. Yeah. It was definitely one of the most, as I said, after the podcast we did last week and, and you know, the, the catch-up with the West Ham guy on the podcast and all of a sudden it was like at the end of the night that David Moyes has been offered a new contract and you think, oh, he needs a win now. And, and sure enough, he, he, they bang out a 4 tour. Um 
a, a quick mention on Brentford then Johnny you did touch on it they've lost the last three now um Everton have now joined them on points up to 25 um you've got to be worried now aren't you for Brentford setting five points precariously above excuse me Luton's position in 17th yeah it's fair mate I, I kind of went against that uh, I don't know if it was last week week before but I thought they'd be absolutely fine to be honest, I expected them to get something last night, at least a point. Didn't see that one coming. The for me with Brentford is they, they have goals in them. They do carry a threat, but defensively they, they are not great. Um right for the midfield, right straight through to the defence. They just seem to be miles off it. So you can have Ivan Tony and even uh chucking in the goals here as well. You can do that, but if you're leaking goals the way they are, I mean, the goals last night was a perfect example. Bowen done really well, taking nothing away, but virtually every goal was easily avoidable. You know, it wasn't a like, great creative player, but a lot of them are just simple goals, and we're seeing that a lot with Brentford. So, yeah, they are they're kind of an alarming position, mate, I think. Yeah, I've kind of drawn back on my word, mate. I think they are, they are definitely flirting now. Colin, anything to add on the Brentford? Um, no, just what echo what Johnny says. Um, I think I don't know. Uh, are they in trouble? Yeah, in a normal season, they would be would be dangerous. But I just don't think the the bottom three have it enough to <laughs> to make this a, a relegation dogfight. Um, well, it may be being a wee bit unfair, but they've they've not done enough to to tell me otherwise. So. Or they may be lucky this year that there's just teams losing them. That was what I was probably be the same. I was going to say that the only one when looking at that is for the bottom three, as you see, Luton possibly. Um, if Brentford continue in the path they're on, but now they're still a five gap, though, isn't it? Forest are pretty close to yeah, but Luton have got a game in hand. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going to be praying. They're going to be praying that this uh, this uh, appeals uh, for the points potential deduction is going to come through before the end of the season, aren't they? Because I think it probably determines their outcome for them. Right, guys. Listen, um, it's, we've managed to wrap up majority of all the games. There is a couple that we've missed, um, but we will try and pick them up first time uh, on the next podcast. Um, as ever, guys, um, if you have any questions, if you have any thoughts that you want to portray, then obviously leave and drop us a comment. Um, but on this week, let's say appreciate it. Thanks very much for coming on, Colin. Um, always good to get you back. Two weeks in a row, we are feeling a bit precious. I know two weeks in a row, so I'm right fuck off for four months. Um, and I'll, I'll see you at the start of next season. Um, no, always a pleasure uh, coming on and talking things, all things EPL. Thanks for having me. Good man, thank you. And Johnny, thank you as ever. How's things? Are you looking forward to the weekend? Yeah, mate. Every weekend's a new challenge. Uh, a wee special thank you to Mason who left Jamie to host tonight on the very week after Liverpool empty Chelsea in a cup final. <laughs> what a Jamie a lad he is. Eh? <laughs> no, thanks for hosting me, and as always, thanks for having me. Pleasure. To be to be fair, today's probably the first day my head's not been so sore after it. So, uh, yeah, I'll take that. But thanks very much, listeners. Speak to you later. Yeah!